We've been invited into a moment of receiving the character and the nature of God and his words about that, but more than that, his actions about that. We've been called into that moment. For some of us, we come in believing that. We come in receiving that for what it is. And wherever you may be today, there or wondering if that's possible, if that's who he is and that's what he does. Maybe even to the point of having decided he doesn't, at least not for you. Wherever you may be on that journey or that continuum, it's an invitation to get to know who God is. It's to discover his nature. Who is he and how does he conduct himself? And what difference does that make in me? So if you were able to enter in and worship and to sing those songs and identify with that, may that resonance in your heart just grow and continue. If you were at the other end of the spectrum, keep exploring, keep asking. He loves our questions. Discover who he is. It's his nature to reveal and to let us know who he is. In this season in particular, it's a season of spring, right? We're learning the nature of new things that grow. That's the nature of spring. It's also a bit of a roller coaster. You get warm days. Some of you have already made the commitment. You're in shorts. Way to go. That is a faith act in and of itself. There will be cooler days that will challenge that decision, but stay with the shorts. I'm sure it's the difference maker. Keep them. Keep them going. It's the nature of spring to bring rain and to bring high and low temperatures, to bring some storms, to bring uncertainty. It's the nature of spring because it's the ushering in of the new. And that's part of the reflection of the nature of God. Love in the spring. As we encounter these things that cause us to question or wonder, getting close to the story of God is a way we gain access to his nature. And there's an opportunity to do that every Tuesday evening now. Just began last week as an introductory experience. But every Tuesday evening, there's an opportunity to gather 8 o'clock online to discover God through his story. And then to discover more about myself and yourself through our story and see where the story of God and my story intersect. The story of God and your story intersect. Going on Tuesday evenings, 8 o'clock via Zoom. You can jump in this week. It's not too late. Please do that as a way of strengthening your own understanding, your own spirit, your own heart about the nature of God and how it is he works in your behalf. So jump into that Tuesday evening. Come on, be a part of it in this spring season. It may be something that is a part of the new that's rising up in your heart in this season. One of the new things that's rising up here for us at Heartland in this season is uh, Brad Herndon. Brad has joined us as a team, become part of our lead team and a teacher among us. He is here this morning, and he's going to open up a new series for us, Learnings from Ancient Discoverers of the Story of God and the Nature of God and the Person of God. And we're going to see that those stories apply to us today. They come home for us, and this series will help unpack that as we look at this journey between a land of promise and the promised land. So he's going to help us open up that today. So welcome him as he comes as we jump into this new series today. Brad Herndon, you're here. There you are. Come on, Brad. Well, hey, Hartland, how you doing? Yeah? 
I mean, you can't really get a better day than what we've had outside, right? Hopefully you're getting a chance to enjoy that today. The last time I was down here with you speaking, I took a little bit of an afternoon and I went to uh, Shawnee Mission Lake. It was like the first warm day of spring and half of Kansas City decided to go there too. So uh, maybe you're going to find yourself in the sun or just enjoying some, some good sunshine, some good time with family and friends today. Um, yeah, I love, I have loved, I've been here for two weeks now, just getting to enjoy uh, the team here, learn what's going on here at Heartland, uh, just dreaming about what he has, what God has in store for us here in, in Kansas City. And so uh, last time I was here, I introduced my family to you just a little bit. I showed you this picture of them. I found out after I got home, they're probably watching right now from, from Minneapolis. Um, when I got home after that trip down here, I'm down here full time now. They're still up in Minneapolis. Uh, my kids told me I didn't, I didn't spend enough time talking about them. So, so just to make up for that, um, I'll, I'll kind of go through them by name here. My wife, Allison, 16 years that we've been married, met up in Kirksville at Truman State University. Um, the oldest child we have is Lucy. She's in the middle up top, 13 years old. She's our artist. She's a figure skater, something that was new when we landed in Minnesota se several years ago. Um, right next to her is Gus. Uh, Gus is our ball player. He's also our scientist. Gus got his name because we wanted to make sure in the slim chance that we had a a kiddo who would one day play professional or collegiate sports, that if he was ever running out of a tunnel and his name was said over a loudspeaker, it would sound really cool. So we were like, Gus Herndon, that works. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, the next one in the middle, that mischievous nine-year-old boy in the hood, that's Sam. Sam is our prankster. Uh, he's our jokester. He keeps everything exciting for all of us. And then the little seven-year-old blonde bundle of sass there, uh, that is Annie Jane. So all of our kids were born down in Arkansas in the South. And so we wanted to have a kid just kind of help us remember that. So we called her Annie Jane, kind of the two word name. And uh, don't let her fool you. She, she, uh, she is the boss of everything. Um, she was our easiest baby. And so we really didn't parent her for the first like three years. And after a few years, we realized, you know, we probably should move in and like start to parent her and kind of, and so we're, we're still playing catch up with some of our parenting on her. Uh, she, she gets the way most of the time, but um, that's our, that's my team. That's the, the people that I'm going to be bringing down here when we move down full time in, in June, when they come and join me after the school year, that picture was taken last summer in Colorado, one of our favorite places. We just feel like our souls refreshed and restored whenever we're around the mountains, any other mountain lovers out there. Yes, um, it's one of the best things about being in Kansas City is we're a little closer to the mountains and uh, we plan to take some more trips out there. And we've always loved hiking and being outdoors as a family. Alice and I wanted to pass along our love of hiking to our kids. And so we would take some kind of day hikes, short hikes around town. And then we're like, what if we could take them somewhere really cool? You know, because hiking is work, but, but it's worth it, right? When you get to the end. And so what if we took them to a place where they could experience, like really experience a great hike. And so we went to, this is several years ago, our youngest was about three years old. And we took them out to Jackson, Wyoming, to the Teton Mountains, one of my favorite places. And uh, if you've ever been out there in Jackson, up uh, against the mountains there during the ski area, there's a tram that'll take you up to about 10,000 feet. And you can look out over the entire Jackson Hole, uh, kind of the valley between the mountain ranges there. And uh, there's several trails there that you can do with the Grand Teton, the Middle Teton, about 12,000 feet foot peak that just kind of looks down on you the whole time. It's just, it's just spectacular. And there was a one miler, maybe three quarter a mile hike that we knew was up there that we said, well, let's just go up, get some views and some pictures and then take our kids on this, on this hike in this beautiful place. You know, nothing crazy. 
Now, the thing that we kind of forgot is that when you go up several thousand feet, it can get, it can get pretty windy when you're up that high. I mean, you think Kansas winds are, are something to be messed with. Uh, you go up 10,000 feet, that is, that's strong. And it's, it's about a 20 degree temperature drop up there. And so we get to the top and we get to the trailhead and my wife and I look at each other. We look at our kids and we look at each other and it's kind of one of those, <laughs> are we sure we want to do this? And one of us, um, I, won't mention, I won't mention who, um, he thinks this is still a good idea. Uh, the, the other one, the more, the more responsible one, uh, who's usually more discerning, uh, she's not so sure. So we begin the hike, and um, it would have been great, except for a couple things. Uh, one is apparently there was a turn about a half a mile in that we didn't know about on this trail. We didn't really stop to read the instructions, kind of important. Um, we, didn't really, we weren't really paying attention. We were just walking along, enjoying the views, and we missed this turn that was going to take us down to this, this chateau at the end of the hike, kind of a ski chateau with a lift there that would take you back down the rest of the ways down the mountain. And uh, that's where we thought we were going, but we missed that turn. And, and, and about an hour in, we're wondering, are we, are we on the right trail anymore? And the other reason this wasn't the best experience for us is when you're that high up, um, the weather can change really, really quickly. Anyone know this? Anyone been in the mountains and know this? Yes. It can change really, really quickly. And so, so sun can become clouds and clouds can become storms. And, uh, and it's rain, you know, when, rain, when it's raining at 10,000 feet, it actually hasn't had enough time to become rain yet. It's still, you're that high up in the atmosphere, it's, it's still hail at that point. And hail on skin, it hurts, okay? And when you have six people walking around getting hailed on, this is not a, a great experience. The other thing is, I don't know if you've ever seen lightning up close. Uh, man, that is, that is spectacular. Uh, that was worth the price of admission, just getting to experience that. Uh, but my kids were not so much enjoying the experience. And we're, several of us uh, were crying. We're looking for some sort of tree or rock to be able to hide under to stay protected during the storm. My wife and I, our communication was not at its best in this particular moment. But we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. And, and we don't know if like we turn around and go back to the beginning, but we, can we even find our way back? Or, or do we keep moving forward? Maybe the end of the trail, maybe it's just kind of right around the bend. Um, and we begin wondering, we're like, this is, this is not what I thought this, this hike, this journey was going to look like. And if you're wondering what happened, um, my kids experienced their first seven-mile hike that day. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good accomplishment. I mean, I think, yeah, look, you know, wow, you did it. Um, we, we actually wandered along, we were cold, we were wet, we finally, the weather changed back to sunshine and we just kept on going and making the best of it and we turned to bend and then like kind of like the sun breaking forth in the dark sky, we, we see finally this chateau, the ski lift that we've been waiting to get to and the cool thing was there was even a wedding happening outside of it at that time, right where we popped out from the woods and I think they really, that wedding really enjoyed having our family of six walk through it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, have you ever found yourself, you know, kind of far off from where you thought you were going to be? Have you ever found yourself on a journey of sorts that just didn't quite work out or go the way that you thought it was going to go? I mean, I, th I think we all have, right? We've all had seasons in our lives where we aren't where we were, but we aren't yet where we thought we would be. And we're kind of caught in this in-between place, right? 
And for you, maybe it's something in your career. There's a position that you've been waiting for, or a promotion that, that you felt like was going to be down the road for you, but you keep getting looked past, or it just hasn't quite been created in the, in the time that you thought it was going to happen. Or maybe for you, it's, it's, it's something in your relationships. You're waiting for that, that person. And you dreamt of finding that person and having that, that wedding and starting that life together, and, and you just, they haven't shown up in your life yet. Or maybe you know who that person is, but you're waiting for them to know that, that's, that they're the person. And you're waiting for the question to come. And if that's the case, uh, take my wife out for coffee and she'll tell you about the six years that we spent dating. Now, she's a very patient, loving woman. Um, or maybe for you, you guys are, you and your spouse are trying to start that family. And you didn't know that it was going to be as hard as it has been or take as long as it is. The good news is that we aren't the only ones to find ourselves in these in-between spaces. In fact, in scripture, it is filled with accounts and stories of people who aren't where they were, but aren't yet where God wanted them to be, where God was inviting them to be, where God was walking with them to be. In fact, some of the people, there's two people, a couple back in the Old Testament who probably spent more time on this journey between space than anyone else in scripture. And so over the course of the next couple of months, we're going to be looking into their story. And it all starts back in the beginning at Genesis. And when we hear the word Genesis, uh, that's what we think of, the beginning, the beginning of everything. If you want to follow along, you can flip up to uh, Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. But Genesis is the beginning of everything. But it's also the story of God introducing himself to the world he created. In fact, ever since the beginning of creation, God has been on a mission, even still today, he's been on a mission to introduce the world to who he is and what he's like. And I'm so convinced of that, I know that, that he has you here, he has you watching online because he wants to introduce himself to you today. He wants you to know who he is and what he's like. He wants to deepen whatever understanding you have of him. He wants to challenge maybe some of the things that we think we know about him. He is constantly on this mission to introduce himself to us. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a couple of people by the name of Abe and Sarai. Now we know them now as Abraham and Sarah. Along the way in the chapters ahead, their name changes. We're gonna talk about that in a few weeks. And we think of them as just these giants of the faith. I mean, they are talked about all throughout scripture, kind of on this who's who list of people in the Bible. You know, these heroes of the faith. And even apart from faith, just in history, three of the world's major religions can all be traced back to these two people. We think, gosh, what a big deal that they are. But we have to remember that in this moment, before any of that happened, Abraham and Sarah were just a couple of folks. In fact, Abraham was 75 years old. He was not a young pup. He lived a good chunk of his life. Sarah, Sarah had two. And they were living in this, this city called Ur, which if you know kind of your Middle Eastern geography, it's about as far east in Iraq as you can go before you get too close to the Persian Gulf. And this was a place, a major city filled with activity and commerce. And this is where they lived and they worked. It was a huge city over on that, that side of the region. And uh, it was a city also where people worshipped multiple pagan gods. We know later in scripture actually that Abraham and Sarah did too. In fact, when God shows up in their lives in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah have absolutely no concept who God is at this point. That's their starting point. And this is when God introduces himself to them. And God says, this is how, kind of how it goes. God shows up and, to Abraham and he says, hey, Abe, name's God. 
the God, um, I want you to do something, Abe. I want, I want you to go. I want you to leave. I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And I want you to leave. Leave your city. Leave, leave your home. Leave everything that you know. Leave what you have here. And, and I want you to go. And if you go, well, then I'm going I'm to bless you, Abe. I'm going to give you this land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to give you a great name. You're going to be famous, Abe. And I'm, gonna, and I'm gonna give you a family because I know that you and Sarah have been trying to have a child and I'm gonna give you that child. There's gonna be so many people who call you father. You're gonna be the father of an entire nation. And if you're hearing Abraham hear this strange voice promising you the world, what are you thinking in that moment? In fact, if you're Sarah and your husband comes to you, your 75-year-old husband comes to you and says, hey, hey, Sarah, you'll never, you'll, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never get this. This, this. this strange voice started talking to me, said he was God, the God, the, none of the other gods, the God, and said that we need to leave everything. We need to leave home. We need to leave all of our stuff and our people, and we need to go to this place that we don't quite know about yet, but we're going to go, and he's going to give some land to us way across the way, and, and he's going to make us famous, Sarah, and, and he's going to give us a family. And if you're Sarah hearing this for the, from your husband, I mean, you're, Sarah was a pretty strong woman. I think she was probably saying, Abe, are you off your rocker? Like, literally, are you off your rocker? No, we're not going to do that. That doesn't happen. But for whatever reason, they go. They move. They lift up everything out of their life and, and they go. And in, in a sentence, it's kind of the story of Abe, an, an unknown, a no-name guy who hears from an unknown God telling him to go to an unknown place. In a word, in a, in a, in a phrase, into the unknown. Any Frozen 2 fans out there? <laughs> no, you're not. Any, anyone familiar with Frozen 2 out there? Yes, you have kids. You won't claim being a fan, but you are familiar with it. So uh, the story of Elsa, the Snow Queen. Um, she now has been restored after Frozen 1. She's been restored back to her family, to her place. The, the Snow Queen, the Queen of Arendelle. Everything is just hunky-dory, peachy. Life is going just great for her. Um, but she's asleep in the middle of the night. And there's something kind of unsettled in her. And she begins to hear this siren, this voice, kind of singing off in the distance. And in Disney fashion, she wakes up and begins to sing this song. And, and I, I tried to bribe our band uh, to, to do the song, to come out and bust into the service right now and sing the song, because we know they would do, be amazing, right? I mean, we have the best band this side of the Mississippi, I would say, right? Um, but we wisely, wisely decided that Disney probably would not appreciate it if we crushed their song better than Adina Menzel ever could. So uh, we'll just have to imagine that moment. But I do want to, I just, I want to share some of these lyrics for you because I think Disney was onto something about something that's inside all of us. So Elsa begins singing and she says, I can hear you, but I won't. Some look for trouble while others don't. There's a thousand reasons I should go about my day and ignore your whispers, which I wish would go away. Everyone I've ever loved is here within these walls. I'm sorry, secret sirens, but I'm blocking out your calls. I've had my adventure. I don't need something new. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown. Does that not sound like it could be a 
page out of Abraham and Sarah's journal in this moment. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown. But then later in the song, Elsa, that unsettledness grows and she begins singing, now how? How do I follow you? Kind of like, I want to, but how do I take that step into the unknown? And I think it tells us that there's places and seasons of our lives that we get to, or maybe it's comfortable, or maybe we're stuck, but God begins to nudge us towards something and we can feel it. There's an unsettledness in us and he wants us to follow him into the unknown. And over the next 12 chapters of Genesis, 13 chapters really, we begin following Abraham and Sarah as they take step after step after step, following God's promises into the promised land. And it, and it kind of it looks like this. As we begin this series, it's, it kind of begins with this first space. This is where Abraham and Genesis are at the very beginning, and we're going to call it the promises. This is when they hear from God. And you think about all of the things that God shared with them in this moment and all that they're feeling at the starting line of it, where God is giving them these promises and, and the excitement, right? I mean, they wouldn't take these steps if they didn't feel an excitement to be able to do so. You think about all of the hope. Think of the anticipation, right? Now, it probably felt a little bit of maybe fear. I mean, they're taking a pretty big step, right? You think about some of the big steps that you've taken and the big journeys that you've started. You probably did calculated some of the risk that was there, but they were willing to go because they had faith. And that's what propelled them forward. And where were they going? Well, that's the promised land that God gave them. We're gonna call, we're gonna call this space the promised land. Now, it wasn't just the land. God, five times in this passage, says, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. And the, the word blessing that God is using here, it means I'm going to give. I'm going to give you. I'm not only going to give you what you need. I'm not only going to give you provision. I'm going I'm to give you prominence. I'm going to give you this land, this perfect, ideal land. I'm going I'm to give you a great name. I'm going to give you protection. And Abraham, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a family. And so you understand why Abe and Sarah were feeling all of these things with all of this on the horizon. Now, if life just consisted of these two spaces, that'd be pretty awesome, right? But they weren't naive, we're not either. We know that there's an in-between space that they found themselves in. And so we'll call this middle season, we're just calling it the in-between. And what we forget is that this is probably where we spend most of the time on the journey. From this moment to the beginning of this moment was about 25 years for Abraham and Sarah when they began to experience the promised land of God. Think about how much that changes in 25 years you think about all of this excitement, and maybe at some point it became doubt, became second guessing, became confusion. I'm a number of times that they might have asked themselves, are, are we on the right track? 
Think about the turmoil that they would have experienced. Abraham and Sarah, they didn't always get along. They didn't always see everything eye to eye. They kind of chose some of their own paths. You think of some of the shortcuts. I got to get some taller easels. Some of the shortcuts. You think of some of the loss. They lost family members over this course of this 25 years. People who never got to experience some of the things that were ahead of them. And now it's kind of like that old children's book. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You got to go through it. But we think, well, if I have to go through it, if I have to go through that space, let's just make it as, ef- as efficient as we possibly can until we get here. The problem is the space between... In reality, as you think about your own life, doesn't it begin to start to feel like this? It's that degree that you've been pursuing, but you can't take the classes as fast as you thought you could. It's the debt that you've been trying to erase, but you can't save the money and pay it off as quickly as you'd like. And so you kind of are stuck here and you're trying to get there. Maybe it's the retirement that you've been waiting for, but because of what's happening in the world, It's just not coming soon enough. It's the company that you started and then a pandemic happened. And so you look at what used to be a crystal clear vision of this desired future and now it's barely a faint outline on the horizon. And you're wondering, is it a mirage? And so you're kind of stuck in this in-between space and maybe you're thinking about, well, I'll go back to the beginning. At least I knew what what life was like then. But in the same way, you can't quite see the starting line anymore. And so you're stuck here. And it can easily be a place when you just get stuck or paralyzed. There's a word for this space. It's called a liminal space. It comes from the Latin word meaning limen. It means threshold. It's a transition. It's a, it's a change from one place or state of being into another place or state of being. It's a change, a season of change. Not only a season of change, it's a season of crisis because that's really what all change is in some respect. It's, it's a crisis of sorts that we go through as we leave the, the familiar, what Ruth Haley Barton calls the tried and the true, as we leave those things behind, but we have not yet replaced them with something else. And that kind of describes the last 13 months, doesn't it? You think about what our world's gone through. I mean, remember a little over a year ago when as churches and schools and companies, we were saying, you know what, everyone, we, we just need to let this thing pass. We just need to hunker down, stay home for like a few weeks. A few weeks became a few months. A few months became a year. We're still living in this in many ways. Who knew 13 months ago that we would have as many masks in our cars and hall closets as we do Who knew that we would have virtual graduations? Who knew at the starting line that that we would cancel all the trips that we have and change our plans as long as we have? Who knew that Tiger King would happen? I mean, doesn't that feel like it was five years ago? Have we not found Carol Baskin's husband yet? This is the space that we're living in. Richard Rohr, he talks about the liminal space. Here's how he describes it. He says, liminal space is where we are betwixt and between, having left one room or stage of life but not yet entered the next. We usually enter liminal space when our former way of being is challenged or changed. 
It is a graced time, but often it does not feel graced in any way. In such space, we are not certain or in control. This in-between place is free of illusions and false payoffs. It invites us to discover and to live from broader perspectives and with much deeper seeing. You begin to get a sense of something. We can't avoid this place, and we wouldn't want to. That as hard as it is, that there's an invitation, as Richard Rohr says, to a different way of seeing. And I would say, I would say to a different way of being. And so what if God, in this mission and desire to introduce himself to you and to me, or maybe reintroduce or deepen our understanding of who he is, or challenge some of the things that we think we know about him? What if he uses this season to do so? What if the point of God's promises is not so much about the promised land as it is about carrying us in and through the journey to get there, the in-between spaces. And, and this is the idea that he has been pressing on my heart that I want us to hold on to today and carry with us as we go through this series, is that God uses the, the journey between to teach us to cling to him and not just to cling to his promises, not just to cling to the promised land ahead of us. He desires those things for us, but not at the expense of clinging to him. And what would happen if we would cling to who he is and to his goodness and to his power and to his grace as we wandered and journeyed through these seasons and experienced everything that they had to offer us? But how do we do that? Well, look at the first verse of this chapter. Go back and it says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. There's a couple principles here. He says, the land that I will show you. This has always bugged me. God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going to. And that, that doesn't work for me. Like we, it's, it's, it's hard enough to uproot your family, but especially hard to do it when you don't know where you're going. God says, it's only after you take that first step that I'm going to begin to show you along the way where you're going. And some of you smarty pants in here, maybe you're reading ahead and saying, no, no, no. He says, go to Canaan. Canaan, it's not that helpful it's kind of like God saying to Abe, hey, I want you to go that way. It's kind of like him telling us, I want you to go to Canada. Like, like we have a, a kind of a direction in mind, but Canada is a big place. Like there's mountain Canada, there's inland Canada, there's, there's kind of warmer climate Canada, cold Canada, different languages, different regions, different industries. Like we don't really know how to pack or what to prepare for. And what it teaches us is that we should trust God's direction even when we don't know the destination that we need to trust God's direction, both the nudges and ways that he points us and also the directions that he points us and tells us to go toward, even when we don't know the destination. Sometimes he's gracious enough to give us that destination, but usually not. And that is hard for us because my guess is none of you have gotten to an airport and boarded a plane and on your ticket it said west. No, there was a city that you were going to. When you, when you get an Uber or when you punch in your maps on your phone, there's an address. You can't just put like a general direction there. We like destinations. We don't like directions. And the difference between the two is specificity, right? We like clarity. We like certainty. And if we don't get it, then we just wait. And we linger. And we try to gather more research. And it keeps us from taking that step, that step forward. John Cavanaugh was... Uh, of um, 
an ethicist, and um, he he's, travels all the way to Calcutta, India, and um, he finds Mother Teresa, and he asks her to pray for him. And he's traveled all this distance, and he finally gets there, and Mother Teresa says, well, what do you want me to pray for you? And he says, I want you to pray for clarity. And Mother Teresa looks at him and says, no. And he says, I'm sorry? Why won't you pray for me for clarity? And she says, because clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to, and you need to let go of it. See, I think God knows that, that clarity is one of the biggest obstacles to our experience of him, which means, which means that uncertainty, a lack of clarity, sometimes can be the biggest vehicle to getting to know who he is and what he's like, because it forces us to cling to him. Brendan Manning talks about this. He says, craving clarity, we attempt to eliminate the risk of trusting God. Fear of the unknown path stretching ahead of us destroys childlike trust in the Father's active goodness and unrestricted love that our desire for clarity actually keeps us from experiencing the love and the goodness of God. But how do we let go of that? Well, look at another verse here, verse four. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went, and throughout this chapter and the coming ones, it says that Abraham and Sarah went, that they left, that they journeyed. And there's a sense in the Hebrew, not just that they moved, but that, that they pulled up their stakes. Because remember, they're, they're living in the Middle East. They're a, they're a nomadic people. So they were used to moving around a little bit. But to go all the way to the other side, basically, of the known world, well, they were pulling up some pretty big stakes. And I was thinking about some of the stakes that they had to pull up to leave their life. And we were talking about this as a team this week. I just love the team here. As we process this and what Abraham and Sarah might have had to leave, the stakes that they had to pull up, stakes like comfort, that they knew what life looked like, that they had built up their life, maybe living the dream of retirement. I don't know. But they left what was familiar. They left what was comfortable. That they left a sense of control. They were doing life on their terms in Ur. They probably had it all figured out. His business was down. Their routines, they had it all figured out. And they were leaving all of that and had to pull the stake of control up. They were leaving success. When you are somewhere long enough, you're usually there because you figured out a way to make your living. They were leaving their reputation. They were going to a brand new land where no one, no one knew them. No one knew what they had to offer and they were leaving all of this behind. And I think we all have to pull up stakes that can be anchoring us down in order to move us forward. But, and there's all sorts of stakes, things that we hold on to, things that we let anchor us down. But uh, Michelle, one of our pastors, brought up a great one in our discussion, just that they probably had to pull up the stake of disappointment. Because there's history in life, right? And there's history in your relationship with God. And there's things that have happened that still kind of hide out in our past. And when God invites us to do something new, sometimes we're not so sure we want to trust him on it. And if we hold on to disappointment long, it kind of, it kind of festers and it grows into disgruntledness. And we know that this is part of Abraham and Sarah's journey. Because you start telling a woman who hasn't been able to have a child that she's going to have a child. And Sarah probably looked at God and Abraham and said, don't start making promises that you can't keep. There was disappointment there. There's disappointment in our history sometimes with God too. And I think this is one of the hardest ones for us to pull out of the ground. 
And for Abraham and Sarah, they were in the rocky desert and it took a lot. And we know, we see their journey through the disappointment with God and when they tried to put life back on their terms and do it on their own and what happened with them. And this kind, I think, comes out differently and harder. It comes out only through surrender and repentance. And that's what they had to do in order to lose their anchors, to let go of them. Because you can cling to God or you can cling to your anchors, but you can't cling to both. And I think God is inviting you and me today to think about the things that have anchored us and to leave them in our past and let go of them. Because until we do, his promises will never become the promised land that he has in mind for us. You know, this has been just a crazy awesome passage to be able to soak in and prepare for because I'm living right now in this in-between season very clearly. You know, really several months ago, we started hearing this kind of nudging of God, these promises, this kind of nudge toward a direction. And we weren't quite sure what we was up to, but we were walking forth. And now we're in this transition from Minneapolis down to Kansas City, but we're leaving some things behind. We're having to pull up a few anchors, some relationships and some plans and some some dreams and some experiences that are being left undone and things that we thought were on the horizon there that God is pointing us in a new direction. And hear me, we would have it no other way. We could not tell you how excited we are to be here with you, journeying into your promised land with you. And we're kind of living in a little bit of this excitement season. But we're also living in this season. I mean, we sold a house in Minnesota, which is awesome. But it's easier to sell a house right now than it is to buy one. And we're out every weekend looking at house after house after house and trying to get offers on them as fast as we can to try to beat them out. And it's like the Wild West out there. And, And it's hard. Some of you know that you're, you're through the same thing. You've moved before and have experienced that. And we're trusting God has a house in mind. And if not, we have tents. You might find us in the backyard here. If, as long as there's a shower in here or a hose, we could make it for a little while. But God is forcing us to kind of follow a, a direction, still waiting to find the destination. He's forcing us to, to uproot some of those stakes. And we would have it no other way because we know that we're going to get to experience him and be introduced in, with, to him in some new ways. And right now I'm living in some temporary housing with a family here in the church. And it's just allowing me in my spare time to explore and walk around some of the different neighborhoods around us. And as I do this week, I've especially been praying, taking this passage with me and praying, God, what do you want us to hear this weekend? And he took me back to the opening verses when he says, go to a land that I will show you. And I thought of my story and I thought of your story, Harlan. And I thought how God wants you to hear this, to hear his invitation to go to a land that he will show you, that he is calling you forth that he is inviting you to something. That, that there's an encounter that he wants to have with you, that there's something he wants to introduce to you and, and to me, because this is an us thing now. And he wants us to move forward. And the beautiful thing about the history of Heartland is that you have always been listening for and following the invitation and the calling of God into the unknown. And God has not stopped calling you today. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about buildings or locations because the church is not a building that we come to. It's a movement that we're a part of to help people find and follow Jesus, amen? But movements move. And even in churches, we can go through seasons where we can hold on to to some of these 
and we can think about the yesteryears and what got us here. We can think about some of the comfort that we've experienced now that we have gotten to a certain place. And I think God is saying to you and to me, you gotta let go of those things because as long as you let yourself be anchored by those things, you will never experience the promised land that I have ahead of you. And rest assured, once you get there, there's gonna be another one down the road that I'm gonna invite you to. And will you trust me, friends, that to take you through the in-between? Because over the past couple years, some of this has been experienced by you, hasn't it? And God wants you to know today that he is with you in it. If we would cling to him and to his goodness and his power and his direction and his character, and we would follow him into whatever future he has for you and me, which we get to experience together. Will we follow him? Will we go there? Twice in this passage, it says, as Abraham journeyed through the in-between, he stopped and he built an altar of praise. And he praised God in that season. He praised God in the in-between. He didn't wait till he got there. What's, what's especially awesome is, you know who's writing this passage? Moses. You know who he's writing it to? The Israelites. Of course, they haven't become the Israelites yet. They're the Hebrew people fresh out of Egypt. And they're wandering through the in-between and they're going to the promised land that is ahead of them. And they're going through some of the same dirt and sand and rock that Abraham and Sarah wandered through. They're going through some of the same regions where Abraham and Sarah would have stopped and built an altar of praise. Who knows? Maybe even they saw some of them. I don't know. But it was a reminder to the Hebrew people. It's a reminder to all of us weary travelers in this in-between place to hold on to and remember the promises of God and to praise him in that season. And so as a team, we just said, what if we took a moment at the end of this service as we begin this series together to remember God's promises to you and to proclaim the praise that he is due and not wait until the promised land to offer that to him. And so this is a time to think about us as a church. It's a time to think about you and the life that you've had and what you're in the midst of right now and that we would offer to God this praise. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the invitation. We thank you for the seasons that we go through. Lord, we thank you that hard as they are, and Lord, we have found ourselves in some hard seasons, but holy, you let them be because you are doing something in us that can't happen in the other seasons of our lives. Would you open us up to you, Lord? Would you help us to hear from you? And would you help us, Lord, to cling to you as our promise maker and our promise keeper? and our God who journeys with us. Amen. We make a miracle work, promise keep light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are.
light in the darkness of my God, that is who you are, that is who you are, that is who you are. Oh, we make a miracle work, a promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. We make a miracle work, promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. us to know without a doubt who he is and he's willing to do whatever it takes to do so and maybe you're in a season right now where it's hard to praise but you know that you're with a community and a family who will praise on your behalf who will stand in the gap for you and so if you're going through an in-between that we can pray for you reach out to us let us know we would love nothing more than to journey with you in that in that in-between space but man have we got a journey ahead of us friends and it starts over the next couple months as we learn together how to follow after God into his promised land. So I hope you'll be back next week. Tune back in online with us next week. And if you're thinking about coming back in person, we know there's good reasons to be home, but when you're ready, we're ready for you too. So have a blessed week. We'll see you next Sunday.